Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of The Revolutionized Mind. We've received a few more orders for TRM merch, and we are super excited. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the support. It really means the world to me. If you are interested in ordering anything, please direct message 1321co on Instagram. You can custom design any piece of clothing with any logo or slogan that you want. And just a reminder that a portion of the proceeds will be going to CMHA Ontario. Today's episode is all about Claire's story and her experience with borderline personality disorder. This is a mental illness that is not talked about nearly enough as it should be and is something that researchers and medical professionals themselves don't even have all the information on. So I think that this conversation, talking about it and hearing someone's experience with it is a really great start, especially for the TRM community, to open our perspectives to different disorders and different symptoms that people experience. It's really important that we keep an open mind while listening to these different stories because everyone has their own experiences and it really is inspirational to hear how these people have overcome their demons and come out on the other side stronger. And I am so grateful to know these people and have these people in my life because learning to grow with your mental illness is truly a remarkable accomplishment. So trigger warning for this episode, we do talk about suicide and self-harm in a bit of a humorous way, as this is a way that Claire and I both tend to cope. So I just wanted to make you aware of this going into the episode because I understand that it could be triggering for some people and maybe make you uncomfortable, but I just wanted to firmly state that suicide is not a joke. I have been both directly and indirectly affected by suicide, and I know a lot of the times in these episodes with my guests, we talk about it in a fun, positive way, which suicide is not that, but we also do have to respect people's way of coping and dealing with their own personal trauma, and if that's through humor, then so be it. But the topic of suicide and being in that headspace is not a joke and is a very, very traumatic experience. So I have also linked a national suicide prevention hotline in my description, just because I know this episode is a little bit heavy and could be difficult for anyone listening with past experience or no experience at all. And I really hope that these episodes and this podcast is making you see your life differently. I know it's something that I needed when I was at my lowest to hear that, you know, it does get better and you're not your mental illness. You're so much more than that. And getting to this point of owning your mental illness and learning how to accept it and cope with it in whatever way works for you is such a huge step, but takes people a long time to get there. It took me, what, six, seven years to be in the position that I am today. So I'm just really trying to be respectful and cognizant of the way that people choose to deal with their own experiences and those of others, 
with that being said, it is a very inspiring and educational episode. She really goes into detail about what her BPD looks like and how she's learned to cope with it and manage it in a way that allows her to really become the person that she is today and love her life and understand that she is so much more than her diagnosis. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and learn something new. So today I'm here with Claire, who I went to high school with, and I've seen her post some of her experiences with mental health. So I was really excited to reach out to her and see that she was interested to share her story on this podcast. So we'll start with you just introducing yourself. Yeah, okay. Hi, um, I'm Claire. I'm 22 and I go to McMaster. Um, right now I'm majoring in anthropology and I'm minoring in community engagement. And in this quarantine, I've really gotten into spirituality and exploring Ontario. So that's about me. Awesome. I know we've had a lot of time to ourselves. And you also, <laughs> is it like crystals on your witch's corner? Yeah, I'm wire wrapping crystals and rings and bracelets and necklaces. And I'm loving doing that. So it's been really fun. I'll definitely tag that at the end because I oh, think it's you. awesome. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> So we're going to jump right into your story. We're kind of going to go back and forth on the timeline here to make it make sense. But starting with, uh, when did you first begin noticing that your mental health was suffering? Yeah, so in grade nine, uh, the transition from grade eight to grade nine was like super difficult. And um, I kind of lost all my friends when I did make that transition. And not only did I lose them, uh, I was actually a victim of some bullying. Um, teenage girls can be kind of mean. Um, and that was kind of around when my mental health started to decline because I had been friends with these girls for a couple of years. And now all of a sudden I was public enemy number one. Um, and I just wasn't really sure how to handle that, you know? Obviously that was not fun for you. And I'm sure it wasn't easy going to school and just dealing with all those thoughts on your own. So how did you respond to or navigate your mental health problems at that time? Um, self-harm. I started cutting. I was very good at hiding it. <laughs> I picked, you know, places that people wouldn't necessarily see. And then if it was on my wrist, it was I had all those like live strong or like whatever mm -hmm. rubber bracelets that were the big thing at the time. Um, a lot of suicidal ideation too. And just a lot like my self-esteem was rock bottom. Um, it was bullying at school, like physical, verbal, and then I'd come home and it was cyber. So it really like I couldn't escape it. And eventually I went to a guidance counselor and I was like, I want to leave. Um, I want to go to Sacred Heart. <laughs> like, get me out of here. And it wasn't until he was like, okay, but why? That it kind of came out that I was being bullied. And that's when the school administration stepped in and things kind of started to shift. But the bullying stopped and the mental health problems continued. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know teenage girls do suck a lot. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. all about finding your group and people that make you feel good. So I'm really sorry you did have to go through that. At that time, did anyone really know what you were going through? Um, I had a few close friends that knew like I was self-harming, but like we're 15, 16 years old. Like no one really knows how to handle that other than like, you know, they'd be like, I love you. Like, don't do it. It's not worth it. But like when you're in that headspace, it's really nice to hear those things. But like, it's not going to stop you, you know. Um, and then on my 16th birthday, I decided that I did not want to live to see 17. I was completely done. And I took a whole bunch of pills, um, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and told my friend what I had done or tried to do. And she told the guidance counselor. And that was when I was like first hospitalized for my mental health struggles. And that was when I first really started to dislike our mental health, <laughs> like healthcare system. 
I remember going in. I'm like really fragile. My mom was like crying the whole car ride. I'm just sitting there emotionless. And I finally get in to see the doctor and he's like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm being bullied pretty badly. And he goes, oh, well, what did you do? Sleep with their boyfriends. And I was like, no, <laughs> and I will not be staying here overnight. Thank you, sir. Um, so they diagnosed me with situational depression and anxiety. They said that it was because of the bullying and I just wasn't sure how to handle it. And he asked me if I wanted to stay overnight. And I said, no, thank you. You just <laughs> essentially called me a slut. So I'm okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I know a lot of people have had those experiences. And yeah. that's just the way it's designed. I That's another story we won't get into. <laughs> but um, what happened after your friends and family, I guess, became more aware of what was going on and you got that first diagnosis? Um, so my mom and I shopped around for a couple different therapists. Um, nothing really stuck. I didn't find anyone that I connected with. And like, even when I did have the long term therapist through grade 10 and 11, like, I was never comfortable enough to really tell her what was going on. So how are you supposed to get help if like, you can't talk about everything that's going on internally? Um, and because I just really felt kind of like, no one understands and no one can help. I stabilized myself outwardly. I don't like high functioning and low functioning. So I just say like I coped appropriately according to what people needed from me. So a lot of people just kind of didn't know what was going on unless they were really close to me. Um, and then like because I was coping so well externally and at school and at the workplace, I'd then turn around and like privately engage in these really risky behaviors. And that's even more dangerous because no one really knew that I was doing it. But that was my way of like kind of putting myself together in order to fall apart on my own terms, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really common theme of like keeping a brave face when you're out with other people, but then just falling apart when you're on your own. So very common for a lot of people. <laughs> but I like how you said outwardly stabilized yourself and kept yourself together. I think it's a different perspective to take in terms of the high functioning, low functioning. Thank you. Yeah, I think just with the high functioning stuff, it's like, people almost feel worse because it's like, oh, I have high functioning depression, like I should be fine. But like everyone's depressed, like just because you hide it well doesn't mean like you're coping better or worse than someone with low functioning, you know? Mm -hmm. so. And the better way to measure it would be when you're at that low point, like what do you do when you're on your own, just you in your head? Yeah, absolutely. So briefly jumping ahead a couple of years, I know that you were still in therapy and battling several mental distresses from grade 10 to your second year of university. What clinical diagnosis did you end up receiving in 2018? Yeah, so August 2018 was when I was officially diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and I hated it. <laughs> I did not respond well. Um, I was at probably like 2018 to 2019 were like the lowest and most difficult years because I didn't have the routine of high school or the structure of being home. And I was kind of out on my own in the world um, and really not killing it. I was not crushing it. Um, so yeah, I was diagnosed with borderline. And there's nine common symptoms of borderline, but you only need to qualify for five to fit a diagnosis. So like there's abandonment issues, extreme mood swings, unstable sense of self, unstable relationships, um, risk-taking or self-damaging behaviors. And then suicidal ideation, self-harm, chronic emptiness, dissociation, and intense and inappropriate anger. I don't really suffer from the anger, but like my abandonment issues are off the charts. So like everyone kind of presents in different ways, which is why it makes 
diagnosing borderline super easy, but treating it super difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, And I'm really excited to talk about this today just because I think it's something that isn't talked about a lot. And I know when we were discussing it, like me being a psych student, it's something that is in our textbooks, but not really explained in depth. So it's something that still does have a long way to go in terms of research and just knowledge out in society. Yeah, I was thinking like last night after our phone call, I was like, I wonder kind of what media representation people with borderline personality disorder have. And I was thinking like, you know, there's BoJack Horseman, which is like, not great. Um, And then there's like Susanna Kaysen and Girl Interrupted, which a little bit better, but not great, you know. Um, And there's really limited representation. And when they do use borderline, they kind of use us as like the villains and like the manipulative, risk-taking, dangerous friend. Uh, instead of just someone suffering from a mental illness. (laughs) Yes, and we will get into some of the positive sides of that today. (laughs) I think it's important to see both sides. Like, obviously, it is a mental illness, and you are going to suffer from it more poorly some days than others. But there are tons of positive takeaways from it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did receiving that diagnosis make you feel about your past self and past experiences? Well, I didn't handle it well. Um, It took a couple of years for me to really come to terms with like, okay, this is borderline and it's like, okay, you know, Um, I think for the first year after I kind of received that diagnosis, I used it as like an excuse to kind of act out all those like impulsive and risky behaviors just because I was like, I'm suffering and like, this is how I cope because I have a personality disorder. Um, And it was just kind of like, learning how to navigate the fact that I have a personality disorder and not make it like the core of who I was as a person. Because like with depression, it's, oh, like I'm so-and-so and I have depression. But with personality disorders, they tell you like it affects every fiber of your being, right? It affects how you interact with the world on a larger scale than like depression might just because it's so internal and so a part of who you are. Um, so that was quite the struggle. But then once I kind of got over that brief period where I felt like I was walking around with like a neon sign that said mentally ill, (laughs) like I literally, it was was difficult. Um, But once I got over that, it was, okay, how am I gonna learn how to live with this instead of just live with it and like let it dictate where I'm going. Um, And then like, I'd look back on my teenage experiences and be like, so that was a self-damaging and risk-taking behavior. Like that was very much a BPD thing or I like jumped around from friends a lot in high school and I always felt really bad because I was like, I can't maintain a friendship. There's something broken. There's something wrong with me. Like, I don't know what's going on here. But then it's like, oh, you're borderline. And that's literally one of the most common symptoms. It's like, oh, maybe I'm not broken. Maybe I'm just mentally ill, you know? (laughs) I love that little quote there. But um, I think that friend thing is super important to talk about. I don't know if you want to like expand on that a little bit further. But having those like intense friendships with short shelf life is something that people might do in society, but nobody really pays attention to why some people might be more prone to that. For people with BPD, there's two things that really go into those intense and unstable friendships. Um, The first thing is like the concept of the favorite person which is the person with BPD's like fixation, for lack of a better word. They meet this person, they love the vibe, they love who they are as a person, and that's when the idealization starts. 
And then there's the idealization and devaluization cycle that people with BPD cycle through where, you know, they're the king, they're on top of the world, they're on a pedestal, nothing that they can do is wrong, like they're just your everything. And then like one small thing happens or you feel let down or you feel like they're going to abandon you. And just like that, it's the devaluization begins where, okay, well, they don't matter anyways. And like, it's fine. Like, I'll just find someone else since like no one can love me. And like, you're a bad person. And you start really breaking their character and them down in your head because of the like perceived slight on you. Because part of the BPD is the intense fear of abandonment and then the extreme mood swings and the unstable sense of self. It's like, well, I like this person. I liked the way they see me. I picked them because they saw something in me. Now I don't like how they're treating me or like they did something super small. Like they canceled plans with me to hang out with another friend. Oh, they don't care about me. Like that's it. They like that person better. They never liked me to begin with. And you start doing a little bit of like BPD math and you're adding two and two together and getting 15. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, on to the next, you know? Um, And it just cycles like that. And it just keeps going. I think that is super interesting and something that people listening to this might be like, oh, I do that too. Or like I get mad, but I mean, not from experience, but when you're in that mentally ill or BPD headspace, it's something that you can't control. It's something that just happens and you literally cannot do anything about it. And that's, I think, the line there that is crossed when you are mentally ill and when you're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it kind of feels like when you have BPD, all your neurons are just like firing and like that one thing happens and it's been like 10 seconds since they've maybe said something that's upsetting or like done something that's upsetting to you. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, you're like, all right, well, they never mattered anyways. It's all over. Like I'm done. Like they don't care. They don't care about me. They never cared. And it's like, well, like you need to continuously monitor your thoughts in order to prevent it from like escalating that far. And the first thing that you need to do in that situation is go, is this about me? Am I personalizing this? Or is this about them? And just kind of really start bare bones. This isn't about me. I'm personalizing. This is a them thing, not a me thing. And kind of remove yourself from that equation. But like everyone is so self-centered in general that it's really hard to like be able to take yourself out of the equation and just focus on someone else and doubly so for people with BPD. Just that difference between someone who is mentally ill and not mentally ill, because I think the things you're describing are things that a lot of people might be able to relate to. But like you said, with BPD, it's a whole nother story. It's double that and you can't control it. So that's the little difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So personally to you, how did uh, or currently does your BPD internally present itself? So I used to engage in really risky and self-damaging behaviors a lot. Um, And a lot of people don't really talk about the like self-damagingness of hooking up with random people or like purposely self-sabotaging a good thing or a good friendship because you feel like you don't deserve it. Um, So I was doing a lot of that in high school where I was picking like pretty men and women that were emotionally distant or unavailable and like fixating on them just to like kind of damage myself and hurt myself and like devaluize myself. After kind of, you know, working with it, I have limited the risk-taking behaviors and I've managed to find strategies to mitigate my responses to my BPD symptoms. So like I still have the symptoms, but I have coping strategies that work for me 
the things that I still struggle with are like abandonment issues. I'm terrified of being left. I'm very sensitive to rejection and uh, dissociation when I'm like anxious or like just don't want to be present anymore. My brain's just like, all right, goodbye. Like we're going to leave your body now. We'll be back in 20 minutes. Um, I'm also like working on self-kindness and self-actualization. So I really try to like continuously self-monitor and do check-ins with my thoughts. So if I'm like frustrated with myself that day and my thoughts kind of go like, oh, you're so bad at this. Why do you even try? I have to be like, whoa, if a friend said that to me, I would no longer be their friend. Why is it okay for me to say to myself? And sometimes like in the very beginning, I have to out loud be like, wow, that wasn't very nice. Let's take that back. Like that wasn't true. Now it's a lot more internal of, whoa, like that was a kind of mean thought. Like, let's take it back a couple steps. How did we get there? But yeah, I'm still really sensitive to rejection. And I still every day have to tell myself, nobody's mad at you. If they're mad at you, they'll tell you. And if they don't, that's on them. That's not on you. Um, and that's been really helping me kind of navigate that fear of abandonment and uh, sensitivity. I think everything you just said is amazing and goes along the process of owning your mental health or mental illness in this case and just shows so much self-growth on your end and is just such a positive example of not going against your illness, not hating it, not being so upset that you have to deal with this, but learning how to actually navigate it and developing these coping strategies that allow you to deal with it in whatever positive way works for you. So that's amazing. And I'm really happy to see that you've made that progress with yourself and outwardly fixing those thoughts to make yourself a more confident and loving person. So I love that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's um, not easy. Some days it's very easy to be very mean to yourself and it's very difficult to be very kind. Um, so I'm trying to kind of shift that so that it's harder for me to be mean to myself and easier for me to be kind. Mm -hmm. You're obviously going to have those really shitty days, like not every day is going to be great. Um, well, especially for me and my experience, it was making those good days better than I ever could. And then just finding a way to balance those good and bad days by, I guess, overpowering the good. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is a really great way of looking at it too. It's like if you have the energy and if you can get out of bed, make it worthwhile. And then slowly every day becomes worthwhile the more you do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one day at a time. <laughs> exactly. So how would you say those internal thoughts are different than everyday insecurities? Because a lot of people obviously struggle with insecurities, specifically physical ones. But what is the impact and severity of these thoughts on someone with BPD? Okay, that's a really great question. Um, so part of my BPD diagnosis and a really big part for what I struggle with is the unstable sense of self. Um, up until pretty much like this year, I really had no idea who I was as a person outside of my mental illness. And like, because of that, I was really picking people who picked me, um, which like, that's how you get used. <laughs> um, if you're constantly only picking people because they picked you and not because you like them or you want to hang out with them, they are picking you for reasons that you don't want to know. So I feel like for people with BPD, because of that unstable sense of self, those insecurities are kind of like having your eyes open in a super dark room where you can't see anything. Your eyes are open, but there's just nothing that you can see or grab onto or touch and you just feel really lost. You're looking for the parameters. You can't find them. You don't know who you are. You don't know if you're funny or if you're dull or if you're opinionated or if you're go with the flow. And you start to kind of wonder if there's even anything in that room. 
you know, and you're like, am I even a person? Is anything I do valuable? Am I contributing anything? And that kind of ties into the chronic feelings of emptiness that people with BPD can feel. So it's a really intense experience of being insecure because you don't know yourself and you might never have. And that kind of really messes with your head. I think that's a really great example. And having your eyes open in a dark room is a good physical symbol for somebody to actually think about. But I'm also not trying to invalidate anybody's insecurities because obviously um, there are some really tough ones to deal with. But I just think it's important to understand the difference between somebody with BPD and somebody who is dealing with daily insecurities. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there is quite the degree of intensity for individuals with BPD. Um, Nothing is small. (laughs) Um, And even like I suffer from body dysmorphia that's so severe to the point where like I can look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm pretty, like, I'm good looking. And then I look away and I'm like, I'm a Muppet. Like, I look like Theodore from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Like, I have no idea what I look like and it's not good. Um, So just, yeah, it really does feel like you can look at yourself and look at who you are as a person, your physical self, your emotional self, your mental self. And then the second you stop self-examining, it's gone. So it is quite the difference between like, you know, oh, like I'm insecure about my nose and like I think about my nose all day. It's like, okay, like I'll look in the mirror. I don't like the way my nose looks today. And then I look away and I'm like, I look like Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Like, you know, like it's very much an extreme. Mm -hmm. So how would you explain borderline personality disorder to a random person in a way that they can understand? I love this question. Um, I've been working on this since I was diagnosed. So I think of borderline personality disorder as like, if we were to imagine that we're all bumper cars, and everyone has like a thick emotional buffer or bumper, they can take impacts, you know, they bounce off of each other, it's kind of elasticized, like they'll be okay if they get hit. Whereas people with BPD don't have that buffer that prevents them from being damaged if they get hit. So every impact and every emotional impact hits really hard and leaves damaging results. I love that so much. (laughs) It's just really good to, I guess, picture for somebody who's never heard of this disorder is just listening to this episode and learning about it for the first time to actually imagine it in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah. And I feel like it just works. Um, Like I've heard people describe anxiety as like that feeling you get when you're balancing on the two back legs of a chair and you think you're going to fall, but you don't. And the second I thought of that, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a bumper car then. (laughs) If you guys can chairs, I'm going to be a bumper car. (laughs) See, this is us making positives out of shitty situations. I love it. (laughs) I think a sense of humor is so important. Like if I'm going to suffer with a mental illness, I'm going to make fun of myself for it. Exactly. And which is why I like, I try to take on these like perspectives and ways of speaking about people's past experiences and history in a way that is light. And I mean, I know a lot of the topics are very serious, as is this one. But just coming at you from like that youth perspective is, I think, a lot easier for people to understand and listen to. So thank you for joining me on that. (laughs) Of course. I love it. I um the other day I was sitting with my roommates and like part of BPD is like attempting suicide and 10% of people with BPD will die from suicide, which is a really sobering fact. And like, it is really sad that our healthcare system has failed to that degree. But I like to joke that I am very bad at killing myself because I've tried seven times and succeeded never. (laughs) So (laughs) it kind of throws people for a loop when they start (laughs) laughing and then they're like, oh damn, like, am I allowed to laugh at that? Like, yeah, I'm alive. So you can. Yeah. (laughs) 
And it's, I guess, again, that balance between like talking about it in one way, but then also dealing with it in another way and addressing the situation and learning how to recognize these symptoms and deal with them when they are present and in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's funny to joke about like, oh, yeah, I've tried to call myself seven times, but like, not so funny for the friend that I called when I downed 28 pills and had to be taken to the hospital, you know, like. And obviously not funny in that moment for you because you're (laughs) in this headspace, can't get out of it, but looking back on it and seeing how far you've come. And I'm sure there are still days where you might get to that point and it's hard for you to get out of that. But when you're in that positive headspace, it's a lot easier for you to, I guess, get that sense of humor and talk about it in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important too. Like it's a personal trauma. Like I think people should be allowed to cope the way that they need to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just Definitely. glad that you're also someone who uses humor because <laughs> it does get yeah. kind of awkward when you're like, oh yeah, haha, this is so funny. And people are like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, no, laugh. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, so what are some things that you have learned in therapy to help you cope with and manage your BPD? Ooh, okay. So, um, shout out to Caitlin because she's been wonderful. Um, I cycled through a lot of different therapists. I started with dialectic behavioral therapy and eventually moved to Caitlin, who does cognitive behavioral therapy. And I love it. <laughs> I really love it. It's really helped me kind of um, reshape my perspective on life. And the second you kind of redefine your perspective, you can redefine your reality, um, which is really important to me. The first thing that we really started work on was my personal boundaries. Um, I had none. (laughs) I had none. I was just open and would kind of let people walk all over me. So the second I kind of started putting boundaries in place, it became so much easier to be cognizant and like appreciative of other people's boundaries. You know, with my boyfriend, for example, if I get upset about something and I know it's a BPD thing, I know that I can calm myself down within 20 minutes and I don't need to talk about it with him. But like there was a period of time where he would push and push and push and then I'd end up talking about it and then it would end up being a big thing. So my first boundary that I ever put in place was, hey, when I say that I don't want to talk about something, I don't want to talk about it. I'll be okay. I'm just going to take some me time. And if later on, after I've processed it, I do want to talk about it with you, I'll come to you. And even that one little boundary has totally reshaped the way we interact with each other. And it's allowed us to really look at the ways that we respect our space and our boundaries and the ways that we disrespect our space and our boundaries. Um, And just boundaries in general really help me be mindful and like navigate my expectations of people. Because with BPD and with the favorite person in particular, you do have all these expectations, even if you're not verbalizing it, even if you're not even cognizant of them, they are there. So it really helps to check in and be like, hey, am I thinking of this person as a person or am I thinking of this person as an idea of a person? And then bringing myself back down and being like, we're all human. We all do things like we need to just be mindful of each other's boundaries and be respectful of the emotional or physical space that that individual is in. And then, yeah, it kind of has led to like, because I'm constantly checking in on my boundaries and other people's boundaries, it allows me to have that continuous self-dialogue of where am I at today? What do I need to do today? What's upsetting me? And managing myself, which then moves to managing my friendships. And I think one of the most important switches that I made was going from, I hope that this person likes me 
to, well, I hope that I like this person, you know, and kind of centering myself as opposed to other people's ideas and expectations of me. I think that's awesome. And again, shows your self growth. And it's just a way of prioritizing yourself, but not in a selfish way, just in a way that allows you to be the person that you are and not internalize all these negative thoughts. Yeah, it's really gone a long way for helping me kind of establish, okay, like, this is my life, (laughs) you know, like, to use a TikTok term, I'm the main character. So like, (laughs) how am I gonna fill my life with things that make me happy and people that make me happy? And how am I gonna have these people in my life in a positive way and not just in a codependent way? Absolutely. So continuing on with the positives, uh, what are some traits or skills that you have developed as a result of having this mental illness? Um, So I have this like hypersensitivity to when my friends are upset Um, because I am so like rejection sensitive and because I do have that fear of abandonment. If something's wrong with my friend, even if it doesn't have to do with me, I know I can feel it. I can sense it. And I'm highly empathetic because like, Again, every single emotion I have is like tenfold. If I'm upset, I'm devastated. If I'm happy, I'm elated. So being able to notice that something's wrong and then having that deep empathy of, oh my God, like that must be so frustrating. If I were you, I'd be infuriated. Um, I kind of am like the dramatic friend, but like <laughs> I like it because people feel safe coming to me and being like, oh, like, I'm a little bit irritated about this. And I'm like, you be irritated. You go for it, you know? Um, And I also, like, I was thinking about this question last night because I don't typically tend to think like, oh, I love my BPD. But that, like, recklessness and self-damaging behavior translates to, like, a great bar night, you know? Like, free drinks for everyone. I just talked to that random (laughs) man and he said that he's buying us around. Or, you know, I love to explore. I'm constantly finding new places to go and new things to see. Not in lockdown, thank you, Ford. But (laughs) typically, (laughs) outside of pandemic times. Um, And then, yeah, I just have recently made some connections with people who have BPD and started to build myself that community. Um, And that's so lovely because, you know, one of the things with BPD uh, is that anger. And when you're upset with yourself and you're thinking of like self-harming thoughts, that anger can really lead to some like violent graphic images or thoughts. And just being able to text one of my friends who has BPD and being like, oh my gosh, you would not believe the shit that my mind just tried to like pull on me, (laughs) you know, and being like, my BPD is being a bitch today or, you know, anything like that really helps to kind of ground myself and stabilize myself. And then, yeah, I just really focused on understanding who I was outside of my personality disorder and kind of just being my own pipe man, thinking I'm really cool. And eventually, you know, I'll find people who think I'm cool too. That's awesome. And especially building that community and knowing that you're not alone. And when you do get those thoughts, you know, you have people to reach out to who understand what you're going through and can help validate you and get you out of that headspace. So I'm really happy that you did find other people to help you get there and bring you back to reality in those really tough times. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I'm very grateful for my friends with BPD who are that open with me too, and who allow me to come to them when I need them. And of course, I'm always there if they need me. So it's been really supportive and wonderful. Yeah, and I think that empathy that you were talking about earlier too is something that a lot of people who are mentally ill end up developing because they've been at rock bottom. So they know how to validate other people and listen with open arms and be that shoulder that people need to lean on, uh, whether that's just by venting or being there physically and trying to get them out of that headspace. I think it's a skill that a lot of people do develop. 
Yeah, absolutely. I saw a tweet the other day and it was like, oh, I have advanced issues. So I'm the therapy friend. And I was like, yeah, exactly. It's funny. It's like, yeah, the people who give advice are the ones who I guess can't usually control themselves, but they do find a way eventually to get there for themselves and for other people. Yeah, absolutely. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who has a loved one diagnosed with BPD? Okay, so I was thinking about that this morning. Um, And I think that the only thing I can really say is that on people with BPD's bad days, it feels like the entire world is against them. And you just need to make sure that you're that one person that is always going to say, I am with you. It is us against the world. It's not you against the world. Um, Also, if they get really upset, just give them some space. (laughs) One time I shattered a ceramic cactus. I regret it. I really liked that cactus, but I was also very upset. (laughs) So I think just being cognizant of what a person with BPD needs in those moments of intense emotions is really beneficial even if it's just like a body in the room or like hey let's walk outside or like um i use prns or as needed medication so like hey do you need your lorazepam or do you want your mood stabilizer just asking before they get to that point what they need when they're at that point will make a world of difference I think that space thing that you said is a really important point because dealing with anybody who's going through a hard time or really intense emotions, you always feel like you want to be there, constantly ask what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that is one of your boundaries. And you, when you're in that space, you don't want anybody pressing you to talk or physically, I guess, trying to get you out of that. So it's important to recognize when they might need someone there, maybe if they're at harm to themselves, or if they do just need space to chill out, cool down, and then come back to reality. Absolutely. And like, I feel, at least for myself personally, after I have those outbursts, or like, like, I think the last time I self-harmed was like on New Year's. Um, And I'm always so embarrassed after because I can't control it, right? So like, um, going back to like our medical healthcare system too, I was in recently for my PRNs because I had gone to Newmarket and I had left them in Hamilton and I was having a really bad night and I just needed like my anti-anxieties or my mood stabilizers or whatever. And I rock up to South Lake and I'm in just the waiting room. Like I'm just waiting to see a doctor to be like, hey, like I have BPD and like this is what I use and my family doctor's closed and I just need like two pills, you know, like just something. Yeah. Um, a nurse like turned around and looked at me and she's like, why are you here? And I'm like literally bawling. And I'm like, well, like I have BPD and I can't control myself. She's like, well, why can't you control yourself? I was like, I have BPD. (laughs) Like I thought I already stated that. Um, so just like, they're probably more embarrassed about what they've just done than you are concerned about them. So just be mindful of that, you know? Our healthcare is very interesting. I've had a few experiences like that myself, so we're not going to get into that. But great point. I think, yeah, just (laughs) knowing when people do need that help and providing them with what they need is the takeaway from that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So lastly, what is one thing that you want everyone directly struggling with borderline personality disorder to know? Um, Okay. So I know that the bad emotions and the bad places are the worst. And it feels like there's no going up. You've hit rock bottom and it is terrible there. 
but I also know that the good feelings and the good times are insane. They are amazing. They're something like an indie coming of age movie. They feel phenomenal. It feels like you're on top of the world and it is worth it to stick around and wait out the bad and wait for the good. Um, I tried to commit suicide for the last time in May of 2019. And two weeks later, I met my best friend in the world. It just is not worth it to give in to those bad emotions and those bad impulses because the good is so good when you let it be. As a little side point, for anyone who is dealing with a mental illness, you are in charge of yourself and you are in charge of your medical files. If you are moving therapists because you don't like your therapist, you can ask your therapist to transfer all the notes they've taken on you to the next therapist so that you don't have to start over again. You can ask for your medical files from your family doctor. You are in charge of that stuff. It is at your fingertips. Use it if you need it. That is a very great point and something that I myself never even did in the past. And I think jumping from therapist to therapist is very common, especially at the beginning, trying to find the right one. And it is so draining and daunting having to start your story over and over and just going from the beginning, explaining everything that you know causes you pain and you don't want to get into. So I think that's a really great tip. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. It stopped me from finding a new therapist because I didn't want to reshare my stuff. And then my therapist was like, oh, I'll just send the files. And I was like, hold up. You can do that. (laughs) And it just, it changed the way I interacted with my own medical records because they're mine, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to see them and use them and move them around. That's awesome. And I think the advice that you did give to an individual struggling with BPD is very inspirational and motivational. Just knowing that you know how bad the bad can be, but to experience the good, you need to go from point A to point B. And for the good to be as good as it can be, you need to know how bad the bad is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And just understanding how to get there on your own, uh, because I know everybody has their own experiences and deals with it in their own way. So just recognizing your own illness and understanding what coping methods work for you or what people you can turn to in those times of need and just really working your way through that and finding your own process to being your true self and loving your life. Which is what the revolutionized mind is all about. So (laughs) thank you so much for having me on here and letting me share. It's been wonderful. Thank you for coming on. I know this is something that a lot of people don't know about. So I really hope a lot of people can open up their minds and perspectives to this. I know I've done my research after we started talking and there's so much out there that still needs to be learned, but can start being talked about within our friend groups, within society. So thank you very much for giving us some light on this mental illness, as well as making analogies that make sense to people. That's awesome. So thank you very, very much. Of course, it's been a pleasure. So thank you again. (laughs) When I was talking to Clara before the recording, I had told her that I wanted this to be an educational episode because not a lot of people even know or have heard of borderline personality disorder, yet a lot of people suffer from it. So I wanted her to share her story, but also share information about the disorder. That way the people listening can have a better understanding of where she's coming from and what being in that position actually feels like. And personally, I'm someone who really appreciates those analogies and descriptions and symbols of what their mental illness feels like because it allows other people who have never been in that position before to understand what it feels like. And ultimately, in order for us to make this change that we're trying to make, we need everyone to understand 
or at least have some kind of idea of what being mentally ill feels like. So I think my Black Cloud or Heather's Rope or Noah's Anchor and Claire's Bumper Cars are all, and I know there's tons more, but just paint really great pictures for listeners to put themselves in the shoes of these guests and of these people who are sharing these stories. And it it allows them to sympathize and relate to what this individual is sharing. And I think that is so, so important. And again, like I said at the beginning, I really hope that Claire and I's sense of humor did not make anybody uncomfortable. And if it did, I just want to once again reinstate that I, by no means, and I know neither is Claire, we are not taking suicide as a joke because it is not. And as two individuals who have been directly and indirectly affected by suicide, I can speak for myself. I know how serious of a topic it is, and we're not laughing about it in a negative sense. And if you are feeling any kind of distress in any given moment, please, please know that I am always someone you can come to because I think being in that headspace, especially alone and having no one know what you're going through is so dangerous and is just such a horrible mind state to be in. And if you're someone who has overcome those thoughts on your own, uh, you should be super, super proud of yourself because... Again, it's one of those things where you don't really understand it until it happens to you. And I know how difficult and traumatizing being in that state can make you feel. And like Claire said as well, it's it's not worth it. It never will be because life is worth living. There is so much out there. There are so many people out there who love you and who want to see you happy. And if you're struggling to see that right now for yourself please shoot me a message and I'd be more than happy to do my best to help you in any way I can. So one thing I just wanted to share that I got from CAMH's website is that people with BPD have been described as living with constant emotional pain and the symptoms of BPD are a result of their efforts to cope with this pain. And I also just wanted to point out that individuals diagnosed with borderline personality disorder are at a very high risk to develop other mental health problems such as depression, substance use disorders, eating disorders, PTSD, bipolar, and many others. And I just wanted to bring this up because I know there are several other aspects to Claire's story that we didn't get into today, but... There is always so much more than what's on the surface or than what people tell you. And it's just a reminder to always be kind to yourself and to others because, you know, life is tricky and especially over the last year. And that's why I just I'm really, really passionate about this platform and providing a space for people to open up and share their story and know that they're not alone and there are these people that you can reach out to who have gone through similar experiences to you and can hopefully give you some advice or be that person to lean on in your dark times. So huge shout out to Claire for being vulnerable and sharing her story. I think she's an amazing speaker, an amazing person, and really did open up my eyes to BPD that I honestly did not know a lot of information about. So now I feel more educated on the topic and I really hope you do too. As promised, if you are interested in any spiritual witchy stuff, please follow her Instagram page. It's 
Claire's Witch Corner. So C-L-A-I-R-E-S-W-I-T-C-H-C-O-R-N-E-R. And it's also in my description. Please be sure to check her out and order anything that you like. And I really hope you enjoy the sunshine this weekend. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. Oh, 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 oh,